Welcome to the Words and Pictures podcast. I'm DJ Bowman Smith and this is Words and Pictures podcast number seven. This week my guest is Melissa Addy. Melissa writes historical fiction and is a fellow independent author like myself. Melissa is keen to pass on her entrepreneurial skills as she is a firm believer that creatives should be paid. Hooray for that. She's also going to speak about book covers, writing and book trailers, so stick around for the interview. At my desk this week. Once again, I've been away from my desk, but for a very good cause. I popped up to London to go to Mark Dawson's self-publishing show live. It was a really good couple of days. It was great to be with other indie authors and feel part of the tribe. The trouble with the writing business is that we're often on our own locked up in our rooms, trying to get on with what we're getting on with. And although there's social media, there is nothing quite like meeting other people face to face, no matter what genre they write in. The self-publishing show Live was held at the Southbank Centre in London. 750 independent authors. The days were split up into listening to talks from industry specialists and lots of other authors, obviously and the authors were keen to share their knowledge and show us how they did it. So there was lots of tips and tricks, lots of note-taking, and lots of things to think about on the train on the way home. It really was a brilliant and informative couple of days. Lots of actionable information, not just a load of woolly stuff about writing in general. And it focused on the business of writing, not on the craft of writing, although there were a couple of craft sessions. Yeah, I thought it was really good and money well spent, So if you can, make sure that you go next year. I'll see you there. In the meantime, find Mark Dawson and his self-publishing show. There's a podcast and lots of stuff on his website. There'll be some links in the show notes, of course. Okay, let's get on with the interview then. Come and meet Melissa Addy. This week on the Words and Pictures podcast, I'm really pleased to invite Melissa Addy. Melissa Addy writes historical fiction. At the moment, she's got two series, the Forbidden City series, I'm reading book one, it's really good, and the Moroccan Empire series. So tell us about your work in progress, Melissa. Hello. Um, I am currently working on uh, the Colosseum series. So that came about because I asked myself, who's the backstage team of the Colosseum? You can't possibly have huge gladiatorial games going on with no permanent team. And I looked up um, the Emirates Stadium, who have a similar size, so 60,000 seats, and they hire 3,000 people. So I thought, well, there has to be a group of people here. So I'm having a lot of fun telling their story. So they are a a motley crew, um, but it's it's a fun thing to write. So it's first century Rome, just as the Colosseum opens at the beginning. That sounds amazing. Um, I, I just have to ask you, because... I've noticed on your website that you go on these research trips and you've been to Morocco and you've been to China. So will you be going to Rome? I have already been to Rome. I I actually lived in Rome as a child. So uh, from when I was born till I was four, I lived in Rome and my mother had an office that was just around the corner from the Colosseum. So she saw it every day. Um, And so I've got a few little in-jokes. I put my team live 
exactly where we used to live um, and little things like that for a bit of a laugh. Um, yeah. So, yes, that's it, where that goes. It's always fun to it do is. that. It is. I always like that. Yeah. I always yeah. like the little tips. Yeah. And the funny things happen because I put them there straight away and then I thought, oh, this big thing happens, this big fire happens, um, and, and they're probably not in the right place for that. And they were exactly in the right place. And I was like, how, how, how did that happen? But I love it when things like that happen. It's obviously yeah. meant to be, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I really like those videos that you've put up for, well, you've got three on there at the moment, as, as far as I could see. You've got a, a video about your your free free on sign up for your mailing list, yeah. The Cup, which is Thank really you. good. And it really, um, uh, it really drew me in and, and you kind of want to sign up and read that book which is great but you've also got two other videos just about your research um and i think it's aimed at other writers but what i found interesting was when i watched your one about the china thing because i've been to china and i've been to the forbidden city i suddenly thought i have to read this i have to read this because because it really took me there so i think it's not just well all writers are readers so i think it's you you kill two birds with one stone did you make the videos yourself? Did you get somebody to do it? Was it hard? I, I made them myself. I found a fantastic piece of software called Animoto, um, which I adore. It's really, really easy to use. And I'm not a techie person. I'm, I'm good with drag and drop. You know, I'm, what you get is what you see kind of thing. Um, uh, so I, yeah, I, I founded the software and I started making little book trailers Um for various reasons. One is I like trailers at the cinema. That's one of my favorite bits. I'm like, are we going to be there for the trailers? Never mind the film. Um, so I, I like trailers anyway. There aren't that many book trailers. I have to say a lot of them I don't much care for. They, they don't seem to be very full of interesting images. They, they just sort of just show you the cover a lot and tell you the story a lot. And I, I love trailers. So I wanted to make some for my own. Um, they partly... They, they sort of fulfill a couple of functions. I mean, the Forbidden City is quite well known. If I say to you, uh, the Forbidden City and, you know, you know, think Imperial China, you'll probably come up with some ideas in your mind that are fairly accurate. Um, so when I do those images, when I do the Chinese ones, it's more going, yes, yes, it will be full of fabulous costumes and amazing locations. And you've got it right. That's what you're going to be getting. With and so that draws people in, as you say, and it, and it helps people want to read them. Uh, uh, but I have to stop <laughs> you because yes, yes, I I think it's what you said in that video is that like what it was the atmosphere. The worlds were so high. There's so yes. many doors. You see, you're you're looking at it from a writer's perspective, and I loved the the detail that you point out in all of them um, about the the little little things on the yes, tiles yes. There's a dragon or imperial yes, stamp every on the, single on the roof tile like, amazing how amazing yeah. is that yeah so uh, yeah I, th- I think yes i have got and <laughs> i've been there anyway um but also it, it just brought it in it brought it to me and made me think oh yes that world is yeah, so amazing it is. And, and and how fascinating it is. Yeah. so with the book trailer ones it's it's just either that so people already have an idea and they like that so you're saying yes it will have all these beautiful things or with the Moroccan series it's a very unknown era it's very uh when I was originally going down the traditional publishing route agents wouldn't touch it with the barge pole because they're just like nobody's ever heard of that era two of them said to me could you write about the Tudors (laughs) and I was like no that's not my thing um so with those it's really trying to give people 
a few images to get them started to go look the buildings are like this it's got palm trees the 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 people are dressed like this and just sort of try and and start warming up that that image for them so that they can go oh, okay well that sounds that sounds interesting i'll come with you on that trip so those ones for the book trailers it is about showing people the the sort of the time and the place and i, I like that the research trips were sort of done to show behind the scenes and to say this is all the work that goes into it because I think people who read historical fiction really do like all the work that goes into it. They they like all the books you've read. Yeah. They like to see you riding on a camel or whatever it is. Um, so I showed those. And also because that's one of my favorite bits of the research process. I love all the books and things, but going somewhere um, – I, I was talking to someone and they said, and when you're there, you know, are you taking lots of notes and things? And I say, no, I'm really not. I, I've done all my notes by that point. I, I just soak it all up. I just try and feel it. I really try and get it into me so that it can come back out again in the writing. And I think that really shows because as I say, I'm reading <laughs> one of your books at the moment and, and I, and I feel I, uh, the, the, it's it's evocative. I feel I'm in the place. Yeah. I believe it, and I think that's. I think it it, it gives us more. Um, it, I I can't even. I don't think I can even explain what it is within the writing when a writer manages to do that. But but when it's there, it's so much better. When it's not, it's so yeah. much less. And and I think if you can do that, and it's 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 a very subtle thing, but but. I yeah, you, it worth is it. worth it. Oh, it's one hundred percent worth it. Yes, I, I know. I love it. Yeah. So, with the Colosseum one, for example, um, yeah, of course, I went on the big tour of the Colosseum that you see. But then there's another tour you can do downstairs, underneath, underneath. where the yes. backstage team are. And I was yeah. like, I have to be underneath. And it was hideously priced tour, but I was like, I need that bit. And it's fascinating. It's so dark, and it's so. You're just standing there thinking all you'd have here is torches lighting it and there'd be wild animals in cages. And it's very, very evocative. It's very hard to come out of there and not feel it, you know. It's, yeah. Yeah, I think it's quite a frightening place. I know when I went, there's there's definitely a sort of a, I don't know, a feeling of death. Well, you you think um, how many animals and people died there. It would be hard not to have that feeling. Yeah, yeah, interesting stuff. So, tell me about your book covers. You, your book covers look really nice. They look really of a piece. I really like the China ones with the. You've gone for more of an illustrated yes, thing yes, with that they're one. They're brand new, and, and I'm, um, I'm absolutely thrilled with them. So, they're Jessica Bell design, and they are just lovely. I, I had a set before which I was very fond of. They were very direct faces of women that I'd chosen um but her ones are illustrations and they're just I just really they have a I said to her they it they have to be beautiful it that's the main thing that life whilst harsh and strange and all the rest of it is exquisitely beautiful and it has to look like that on the covers and I, and I think she completely did that so I'm, I'm very happy with those she's about to start my Moroccan ones and I'm just ah, all of a quiver Oh, so you're changing the Moroccan, changing the Moroccan ones, now. ones as well. Yes, they, you know. Oh, I quite like those too. Well, the covers, yeah. the covers, you know, you choose them at a, at a time and they fit the look, and then after a bit, you can see that there might be something more beautiful or more interesting, or you know, they need updating from time to time. And once I saw 
what she did with the Chinese ones, I was just like, right, let's just move immediately onto the Moroccan ones and see what we can do there. Yeah, and I think I think all this stuff does need yes. updating. My my stuff's on on its second second round of things, and I think fashions change within cover design, Absolutely. the typeface particularly, and I think you've got to get that right to make it fit in with your with your whole genre because you've got a funny I skill. Have. In this. I've heard before, but I think the listeners would really like because I just, this is yeah. I, I just love this story because because you started off thinking you'd be traditionally published and then decided. I yes. think not. And the covers were yeah, something. Yeah, that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Story. It really was. Um, exactly. So this would be about, oh, my God, it must be like nine years ago now, I guess. And so I had I had written this novel uh, set in China. I'd seriously worked hard on that novel. I had I started the Moroccan lot and been told by agents that that was not a suitable era, pick something else. So I dropped that, did all the research for China, wrote this novel, got an agent. So they were more interested in China. Um, and we really struggled to find a publisher. It was it was just difficult. And we went back and forth and we had all this lovely feedback and it was all whatever. Anyway, in the end, she said, should we just go with a smaller publisher and we'll just get it out there in the world and see how it goes? And I was like, yes, let's do that. That's that's great. So she found a publisher. They came over to her house. We had this very civilized lunch. It was all terribly nice. And uh, and I was very excited. I was like, wow, this is, this is finally it. You know, I, I have jumped through hoops to go the traditional route. I have always sort of played the game. Everything everyone told me to do, I was like, right, I will do that. Very obliging. Anyway, uh, and they said, great, let's work together. It's gonna, I, I thought this is so exciting. You know, we're going to have such a wonderful time doing this. Everybody was very pleasant and happy. So they sent me an email straight afterwards and they said, um, let's get to work straight away. Even, you know, the contracts are being sent and everything, but straight away, let's get to work. Now, my agent sent me the contract. This is an important point. And I signed it and I sent it back to her. And, uh, and they sent an email saying, let's get on with the covers. Let's talk about covers. Now, I thought to myself, this is what I thought. I thought, it's very important to collaborate here because I've heard lots of stories about authors making a fuss about the covers and being upset. And I thought, I am not going to be like that. I'm going to be so collaborative and whatever. But I thought, I'll just, I'll just make a quick note. So I said, very exciting to be working with you in the cover and everything. Quick reminder, the setting is China. The girl is not Chinese. She's Uyghur. Now, you are not going to find enough pictures of Uyghur girls to choose from from a stock agency so she that's a sort of Turkish heritage so you know something Turkish Mediterranean that that kind of look so I was trying to be very I just thought I'll just make that little point and they said absolutely would you like to pick the girl here's the stock agency we use why don't you pick a girl and I thought oh this is fantastic look at this we are so collaborative it's great so uh, I thought, you know what, I'm going to be really flexible here. I picked five or six girls because I thought I'm not going to just fixate on one of them. I sent back, I sent any of these would do. Uh, and and I've tried to pick ones that don't need a lot of work with a very simple look because um, difficult with costumes and things. Um, and I said, maybe if you had like a Chinese background and then maybe your designer can put flowers in their hair or something, that will look great. <laughs> and they wrote back and went, hmm how about this? And this picture came up on my computer um, of a geisha. And I just remember staring at it and thinking, um, wrong country, wrong ethnicity. Um, also, a geisha is not just 
an Asian woman, a geisha is a cultural icon, full hair and makeup, costume, everything. It's a, it's a really, it's like saying, could you send me a picture of an elderly lady and me sending back the Queen of England in full robes? It's not an elderly lady. It's the Queen, you know. So I just looked at this image and I was like, what? And I wrote back and I said, no, you no. And they said, you're being very difficult. And I just, I tell you, I well up even now. I tell you, I walked all over my house pacing, half crying, half furious and thinking, this is, I, you, if you put that on the cover of a book that I've worked for years on, I will be too mortified to claim it as mine. I cannot have a geisha on the front cover of a book set in China with a woman who isn't even remotely Chinese. It's just not possible. And I couldn't think what to do. I was devastated because I thought here I was trying to be collaborative and being told I was being difficult. (laughs) And in the end, I thought I can't bear it. I just can't. I went back to the agent. I said, have they signed the contract? And she said, no, not yet. It hasn't come back. And I said, I am begging you (laughs) to rip up the contract and say I never signed it. And thank God for her. She stood by me as her client and she ripped up the contract and said I'd never signed it and that I was not going ahead with it. Thank God, because otherwise they, you know, they could have put their foot down and gone, books ours you we can do what we like with it and I would I would have been too mortified to say that was mine I really would and at that point I just there was really a feeling of I have jumped through every hoop I have tried so hard to be obliging and follow the rules of the game and you said to write some other era and I took two years to do that and you know and I just got to the point where I thought I've had enough now I really have and I said I'm going to self-publish I I just want the book to go out there and let readers decide because I'm tired of gatekeepers telling me more hoops to jump through and you know what it went out that is still my best-selling book it still does better than all the other books because people like it um and that led to a whole the whole Chinese series um and then I went back and wrote the Moroccan ones because agents didn't want it and publishers didn't want it but I liked it I liked the stories and I think it self-publishes that's what that's the beauty of it you can decide I mean I I'm also write for children if I write as Tiger Molly, a whole other thing. And if you started to say, well, yeah, here's my fantasy book, but actually now I'm going to write for the kids, they'd have a fit, to be yeah. honest. But I think, you know what? I can do yeah. what I want. Yeah. And I really like it. I really like the fact that you don't have to yeah. fit me into a box or tell me I can't yeah. write this or anything. I think, I think, Lucy, I think you discovered that. I mean, don't get me wrong, listeners, if you're traditionally published, you're happy, good for you. But but for some of us, that loss of control is very yeah. hard. Is it a woman of a certain age? <laughs> it might be where you just go, nah, you know what, I'm doing yeah. it the way I want to do it. I mean, I just, yeah. I just, I think the interesting thing is creative people don't tend to stick to one thing. They tend to stick their fingers into lots of pies. And so. Uh, which is my next question, because <laughs> I've written on here. Melissa is a polymath because not only do you write, 
um, you also teach and you write some nonfiction as well. And I don't even know which bit to ask you about <laughs> because I, I know you do a lot. And I know when I came on one of your courses, we met at the Winchester Writers Festival. I came to Melissa's course for the day. It was brilliant. In fact, so brilliant. I think it changed my life. It gave me the confidence to get out there and do, do what I needed to do and to hell with everything else and stop worrying about awesome. it. Awesome. And I think... <laughs> That's that's the difference. So, what do you want to what do you want to tell us about what what do you think is, you know, do you think one part of your life is more important than the others, or is it all? No, I I read a you know, really interesting thing only last week, and it just it was just you know when you read something you go yes that exactly that, and it was something about that your business should be a delight to you, and it just yes. for me it just sparked because I thought yes and I made a bunch of decisions based on just having read that because I thought well of course you know I, I tend to write short series I know that if I wrote 20 books on concubines in China no doubt that would do really well but I get bored I want to go on to another era and explore again and find the stories I like and do those. I don't write nonfiction anymore at the moment, but I explored that as well. And I like doing different things and sticking my fingers in different pies and finding out what happens. And I think it's it's very natural for a creative person to do that. And yet most, most creative industries don't like that at all. So, you know, my stepmother is an artist and she does collage, which is exquisite, but then if she tries something else, people are like, oh, I thought you did collage. And you're like, she's an artist. Why would she not try some other medium and other? And I think the same for writers. You know, it's fun trying new things. Um, you know, the very, very first book I ever published was called 100 Things to Do While Breastfeeding. And it was because I was breastfeeding and I wanted to write. And I was about to self-publish uh, The Fragrant Concubine. And I kind of wanted a test book to go out first because that book was mm -hmm. so precious and so hard won that I was a bit scared for that to be the first one. And so I went through the whole self-publishing process with a book that I'd written quickly and easily. And I'm very fond of it, but it was a... It didn't feel so breakable, you know, um, and so being able to do that taught me about self-publishing. Yeah, so sometimes it's quite nice to. I find this with the children's work that I've got now, which I've got a few written. I'm, I'm currently doing the audio book for one of them, um, just because it's teaching me how to do audio narration. Yeah. I used to be a school teacher, so I can do the storytelling <laughs> voice and the whole things, which is fine. Um, but sometimes, you, sometimes the because I write dark fantasy, which and they tend to be rather long, and and it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot to deal with. Whereas if you've got something a little bit shorter, it's a bit more manageable. You can learn how to do some stuff yes. with it, and then you can take that knowledge into the bigger yes. projects. Yes. Absolutely, I'm having audio books yeah. done at the moment, and it's fascinating to hear someone tell your story because <laughs> you. I never really hear someone read my books out loud. Why would I? I? I don't even read them out loud to myself. So to hear someone telling your story and doing voices and things is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, really nice. To, really nice to do it. Yeah, so that's your next project. That's another project you've got on Yes, the go. there are yeah, always so multiple projects. Well, that is, that's not me doing the narration. So all I have to do, it's, it's a very nice, easy job, is to listen uh, initially to find the right person and then to listen as they've done it and just see, you know, is there anything that I, that needs mentioning or corrections or anything like that. It's quite a pleasant job. So yes, that I've, I've very much enjoyed 
adding into the mix new formats and things like that. I think it's an interesting part of the self-publishing to to explore all of those new formats. Mm. And do you publish wide or do you do, you do a bit uh, of I am exclusive to uh, Amazon at the moment because uh, with the with the ebooks. So I'm in Kindle Unlimited because I do really well with Kindle Unlimited. My my ideal readers are on there in droves. I, it's really strange. I think there are different genres that do well or not well on Kindle Unlimited. My one does well. So I tend to be there at the moment. What I do do, though, is have print everywhere. So I have print via Ingram Spark, and that means it can go into anywhere, any bookshop, any anything. Yeah, um, yeah I do the same. I do, do uh, Kindle Unlimited yeah. for the ebooks at the moment, and then I, I wide with yeah. everything else. So that's yeah, how I do it at the moment. It's very hard. Very it's hard. hard. To, to decide what to do I, I went really wide to start with with everything and but I, I just couldn't get it to yeah. stick you know and I think sometimes if you just concentrate on one platform yeah. a bit I think it know, once that works once I have a, maybe another series on my belt I might take one series and see what happens when you play with it a little more but at the moment it, it works for me and I, uh, I, you know, I like to keep things simple. I'm going down the 80-20 principle at the moment where you're like, just do what works and keeps things simple because there's enough multiple things to be doing without getting caught up on another possible route that you could be managing. So how did you get into teaching, writing, uh, self-publishing? And- uh, yeah, all the things. <laughs> uh, so when I made the jump to being an author, uh, I had already been, I, I worked in business for years. So I was already running business workshops at the British Library because they have a business and IP center there. Um, and so I was running those and they were very entrepreneurial focused. And then I said to them, uh, I'm going to switch over now and be an author. Um, but would you help me apply for a grant uh, from the Leverhulme Trust to be uh, a writer in residence? And they said yes, which was very nice of them because, I mean, who knew if we were going to get it or not? And I got it, which meant I had a year as uh, a writing residence at the British Library, which was just heaven. And as part of that, the themes we went in with was storytelling for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial skills for storytellers, writers. Um and I'm a I'm a big fan of writers having entrepreneurial skills. I I really I do do craft sessions as well. So I do do things about how to structure a novel or how to write a series or whatever. But I do tend to focus on the entrepreneurial skills because I really one of the great myths that I detest is the starving artist in a garret thing, and it just really puts my back up because I think. That is not right. People should be paid for what they do. And it unfortunately is one of those things that embeds into the writer as well as into the industry. And then the writer doesn't stand up against it because they take it for granted. And so I am a really big fan of authors developing their entrepreneurial side so that they can make sure they're not being taken for granted, that they make sure that they are being compensated for the work they do and I think it's a really important thing so that then became part of the 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 teaching aspect came through that first residency and then I just carried on with it and so I do tend towards I mix craft and entrepreneurial skills together but I do tend towards um, the entrepreneurial for people. Yeah well I think it's very enabling I think that's that's you know that's what I got you know when I was with you that day I it was it gave me a lot of um uh, a lot of food for thought and I was able to 
uh, have the confidence, I thought, because I thought, you know, here's a woman, you're a bit younger than me, but I thought, here's somebody yes. like me. You know, we write, we write different stuff, but here's a woman like me and she can do it. Well, do you know what? Yes. So can I. And- you know, and, and I and that was what I got from it. And I came home, and I, and my husband said, "Oh, how was your day?" I said, "I'm going to awesome. publish." And he was like, <laughs> "I love that." He was like, <laughs> because because everybody's got this idea that real writers are published by big yeah. publishing companies, yeah. and and unless you've gone through that process, then you know you're not really yeah. you're not really a writer it's I, yeah. I try and explain to people i try and explain the, how the publishing industry works which is they're looking for books that sell they would like good books as well because everyone i've ever met in publishing is very into books so it's not that i think that they're just crassly commercial or anything they but they really need the books to sell so we I think I think most authors think if the book is good it will be published that's not correct there isn't enough room for them all to be published in the way the industry works at the moment so they're going to pick good books that will sell hence the Moroccan ones just freaked them out because they were like well that may be a good book but it's not going to sell so we're not taking that um, they had more hopes for the Chinese one. You could see that they thought that had more more chances of. Uh, but that's, you know, that means there are lots of good books that will not be traditionally published because there isn't room. If you're number 21 out of the 20 books they're going to pick for that year, doesn't matter how good the book is, you're number 21. You're not getting in. So I, I think, whereas with self-publishing, there isn't a number. There isn't a fixed number. And so you can be number 279 if you like. And if it's a good book, the readers will still read it. The, the other thing I think is interesting is, is as, a, as an ind- independent author, you, you have a bit more of an idea about, um, you know, the, the multi – sorry, my mind has gone <laughs> blank – about having many many things yes. in the pie, so lots of books. And I write magazine articles. I find that's quite lucrative. Um, and there's there's lots of little things that you can do. You know, I hope this podcast will do well, and I'll be able to monetize it in a couple of years, and things like that. And I think I think you have more of a business head on you because you yeah. have to in order to run the yeah. whole thing. You know, because you're running effectively a tiny little yes, publishing. Yes, you are. You're running a business, you know. and I think that I actually find the business side quite creative a lot of people go oh, I, I I like the creative bit I don't want to do all the business skills and I think but well, the business skills are quite interesting you know even sitting there and learning how to make a little book trailer that that is new technology that's learning how that might work commercially I then use those in adverts that theoretically is the business side I find it quite creative and quite interesting so it's you know there's no need for it to be quite so separate i think yeah i think i think a lot of it is is you know you can you can spread your net quite wide in a quite a creative yes. way and i think it's a really good thing now i've just had on here that that we've got uh we've got eight minutes yes. left so is there anything i haven't <laughs> asked you melissa that you think why didn't um, she say that because what can I, I could certainly what can I talk do that to you about? was there anything else um, Maybe the Moroccan images. Let's have a quick a quick mention of those. So the Moroccan, uh, when I went to Morocco, I got inspired because of Berber jewellery, which is this exquisite silver jewellery get, oh. that gets used. It's very symbolic to people. And that was the very first idea for a novel I ever had, which was, wouldn't it be great if each chapter 
was an item of jewelry given to a woman at some point in her life that had meaning to that point in her life. Um, and that was, that was my very first idea from the very first novel. And the jewelry is exquisite. It's really beautiful. Go look some up. Um, and I had a set of hand-drawn images done of them, um, hand-illustrated, beautiful black and white drawings, five pieces, I think, of jewellery done. And I put one into each of the fronts of the books, partly to show people the jewellery because not everybody's seen it. And partly because underneath that, I had a small historical note, which was that at that time, even though it's a Muslim country, so you would expect that perhaps the women might be veiled, um, the men were veiled. The men were fully veiled. You could only see their eyes. Women not veiled at all. So that I remember thinking, oh, yes, I'm sure I can find a way to gracefully introduce this into the narrative. I just couldn't. I couldn't find a, a sort of smooth way of doing that because it's so contrary to your basic expectations. So in the end, what I ended up doing was explaining this and explaining about the jewellery and the beautiful blue robes they wear with this beautiful image of, of one of the pieces of jewellery at the beginning of each of these books. Um, and I just thought, this is to, I just need something to draw the eye, this lovely illustration, which educates you about the jewellery and also mentions this very hard to include point of history. You know, I just couldn't find a way of doing it gracefully at all. So the images helped. But how fascinating. I know. I know. How fascinating. Amazing. Yes. Yeah, and that's what reading does. It it brings you the world, it does. doesn't it? Really, even you know, and how the fiction can, I don't know, not that you're making a particular political statement, but but you're educating people. Yes, in a very subtle yes. I way. had a lovely reader the other day. She said, "Oh, I'm really enjoying the book. Thanks so much." And also, I'm sharing all the history with my children. I was like, "Oh, that's fun." I'm thinking, which bits is she pulling out, like that, to share with the children? But it was yeah. a nice idea. I like the idea yeah, that she yeah. was sort of creating history lessons from wherever it was she was reading. Well, Melissa, it's been great talking it's been to you. My pleasure. Can you tell the li can you tell the listeners where they can find you and all so, your stuff? So, uh, you can probably the simplest place to find me is my website. So that's melissaaddy.com. And that will have everything. It has Brilliant. all the trailers and my research trips and all the book links. All there. Yeah. And and stuff stuff and for writers, stuff for writers and stuff as well. For readers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Really, yeah. really good. Yeah. It's, well, it's been lovely to talk to you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Ah, oh, it's always great to talk to Melissa. She's always got plenty to tell us. Join me next week when my guest is award-winning author Lorraine Pestel. Lorraine writes contemporary fiction and has six books in her A Life Singular series. Her books are love stories and family sagas, which deal with the complex social justice issues of today. This has been the Words and Pictures podcast and I'm DJ Bowman Smith. You can find show notes and lots more at djbowmansmith.com. Until next time, bye-bye.